morning, everybody. My name is Pam Zidoff. My husband, John, and our four kids have been at Gateway for 12 years, and I uh, serve in Kids Church and Gym. This morning, we're going to read from the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 9 through 16. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He dreads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Marcel Drex, and I have the joy of serving as pastor of Faith Formation here at Gateway Church. And to our brother, sister, uh, sister church up north in Houston, B.C., we say welcome to you as well who are joining us this morning. You know, a number of weeks in our life group, we were talking about and working through our Bible study on the book of Revelation, and we came to the realization that the overarching theme of our study kind of culminates into these two chapters of Revelation 19 and 20. And thus we entitled our sermon today, The Final Word on Salvation. We discussed that Revelation 19 and 20 can really be summed up in six words. And as it has been said many times already throughout this series, we need to keep the plain thing the main thing. And the plain thing, and yet the so profound thing that we find in Revelation 19 and 20 is these six words. God wins. Satan is defeated forever. God wins. Satan is defeated forever. That sums up Revelation 19 and 20. And honestly, this would be a great spot to end the sermon. I could say amen here because the reality is God wins. Hallelujah. Satan is defeated. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, wouldn't that be something? And what fun would there be in that if we ended here, wouldn't it? So much more that we have to dive into and that we have to dig into to understand this all. But I want you to imagine for a moment being in John's shoes. Have you done that yet as we go through this whole series? Have you imagined for a moment what it would have been like to be John? You're sitting at home going about your regular business. You're at, in the barn. You're driving a tractor. You're going about meeting with people. And all of a sudden, an angel comes to you. And the angel says, I am going to share with you a vision that you have never seen before about the end times of the battle between God and Satan. 
And the angel says to you, he says, now go and, and grab a pen or, or go and get your tablet because I want you to write down everything I'm about to tell you, word for word. I don't want you to add anything. I don't want you to take anything away. Write it down word for word because what you are about to see, what you are about to witness is going to be a testimony to the church. It is going to be an encouragement to the church until our day, the day our Lord returns. So write it down word for word. Place yourself in John's shoes for a moment. So far in the 18 chapters as broken down in our Bibles, you see a visual imagery that is placed before you. The curtain of the, heaven, of the earthly realm is being pulled back and the blinders are being taken off your eyes. And you finally get to gaze into the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. You see before you the throne of heaven. So real and so vivid that you just want to reach out and grab it. And as you see this, you see all the, the living creatures before the throne. And they are singing and they are worshiping and praising God. Saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are just overwhelmed by the majesty and the splendor of heaven. And as you take a look, as you gaze out and you see everything that's happening, you see the one on the throne holding a scroll. And piercing through the worship, you hear the angel yell, who is worthy? Who is worthy to break the seal of the scroll? And as you ponder this, you fall to your knees because you begin to realize that there is no one who is able to break the seal and open the seven seals on the scroll. And if that were not enough, the angel continues and he dives deeper into the vision and you see the four horsemen riding in, bringing disaster. You see the seven-headed dragon coming down and wanting to devour the baby. You so vividly, right before your eyes, you can reach out and you grab the beast that's coming out of the sea. And on this side, you grab the, want to grab the beast that's coming out of the land. And that doesn't even come close to talking about the great prostitute of chapter 17. Darkness. Intense darkness. Catastrophe after catastrophe taking place. And all through, you just see a mere glimpse of what's to come. Your eyes get to see a little bit of the end result, because hey, John already told us and taught us two salvation songs already in the book of Revelation. So we get a glimpse of what is to come. Salvation is on its way, a mere taste of the end of the book, that in the middle of all the catastrophe of everything that's taking place, a light comes and takes away the darkness. Imagine for a moment, if you were seeing this for just like the Apostle John. But you see, we have the joy and we have the privilege of having the scriptures with us today. We get to see how it all ends. But for John, just imagine all of it for the first time. He must have been on the edge of a seat, just sitting there writing down as fast as he could, scribbling it as quickly as he could, trying to get it word for word in detail. And he sits there. And he looks at the angel and he says, there has to be more. Bring it on. There's got to be more. It cannot end with the lure of the prostitute. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelations 19. I want to take a look at verse 9 again. It's going to be up on the screen. It says this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. 
You know, contrast can be a great teacher. Using extremes to describe two thoughts helps the listener and the reader to perhaps understand complex things in a way that is much easier. We realize very quickly how big or how small something is. For example, if you take a mouse and you place a mouse next to the elephant, you're going to realize how big the elephant actually is, correct? But then you take this, all of a sudden, this tiny mouse, and you put it next to a flea, all of a sudden that mouse looks huge. Contrast can be a great descriptive of reality. When we don't understand the magnitude of our catastrophe, we will never understand the magnitude of our salvation. It's a contrast. If you have a moment today, I want to strongly encourage you to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. Because as you read through these two chapters, you are going to read often where it says, it is good. And it ends with, it is very good. God speaking the world into existence. The imagination of God being displayed in all its beauty and all its wonder. From the tiniest creature to its most intricate details. To the vast expanse of the galaxy. To the formation of the human body. Not a blemish. All imperfection. Straight from God's mouth to perfect reality. And in the midst of perfect creation... God came and he walked in the, in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Perfect communion, perfect fellowship between God and his creation. The beginning of the Bible begins with creation in perfect intimacy with its creator. And in chapter 3, the catastrophe begins. The perfect world that God created is being turned upside down with the lure of wanting more. Satan comes and he penetrates the hearts of Adam and Eve. And he inserts doubts into their minds and into their hearts. What you have, really, what you have isn't enough. You want more. You got to strive for more in life. Go get it. It's right there for you. You can be whatever you want. Go get it. And all you got to do is eat. From one small bite, anger has taken over love. Resentment has taken over our forgiveness. Lies overwhelm the truth. The fear of death has gripped and taken over our passion for life. All our selfish, all our, all our motives have become selfish. And our greatest acts of kindness have been taken over by greed. There is nothing there is nothing that is exempt from the catastrophe of Genesis chapter 3. Nothing is left empty. The four horsemen are raging through. We see it, don't we? Poverty, earthquakes, tornadoes, fires destroying complete communities, floods. I don't need to tell you about the record-breaking floods. Many of you have experienced that here. Young and old alike are dealing with life-threatening illnesses. Poverty has touched every one of us. You know, we have had this past year at our extreme weather shelter over 370 unique guests. 370 unique people have walked through our doors. And all they're asking, and no matter how big we build the church, all they're asking is for a cool cup of water and a place to lay their head at night. 
You know, and we have made comforts of our homes and we have made comforts of our buildings. But the reality is no matter how big it is or how big our home is, we are not exempt from the catastrophes of Genesis chapter 3. In fact, it has reached our very bloodstream, I believe. It has touched our very hearts. You know, perhaps there is still some bitterness in your heart towards a fellow brother or sister in the Lord. Perhaps there is still some disdain in your heart for the poor that come knocking on our door and all they're asking is for a cup of water. Perhaps even we care more about the structure of this building than we do for the mission of the church. And I say these things looking at the mirror of my own heart for I am guilty of these things. And the more that I try to fix it, I realize I can't. And the more that I try to fix it on my own, the more I realize that Satan has got a grip on the heart and he keeps squeezing it dry. You know, the Apostle John is witnessing the catastrophe played out in the spiritual realm, which is a mirror of what's happening in reality today in our own hearts. The ancient writings of John is our current reality for today. The past is intersecting with the present. And that's why the book of Revelation is so relevant for all of us today, regardless of your age, young or old. For you see, it's only when we come to realize the magnitude of the catastrophe that we begin to realize that there is only one answer to it all. Only one answer. And that answer is salvation. Salvation in Jesus Christ is the answer to our catastrophe. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Take a look at chapter 19, verse 19. It says this. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true in the midst of our catastrophe salvation salvation is coming hallelujah it's on its way he is called faithful and he is called true he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords and he's coming and he's riding the white horse he is faithful it conveys that he is dependable faithful is reliable faithful is trustworthy and then it says he is truth truth Because truth affirms that he is authentic. Truth states that he is genuine. Truth states that he is the real thing. What he says he will do, he will do. And you can believe it with all your heart. When he acts, he will act with justice. And you can trust it with all of your heart. For you see, faithful and true can do something that no other king, ruler, president, or prime minister could ever do. And that is judge perfectly. And then it goes on to say, and I absolutely love this. It goes on to say that his name is the word of God. His name is the word. The word. That's who he is. Perfect in his communication. Perfect in his revelation. Take a look at this from John. The book of John. It says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life 
And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I can only imagine at this point that all the pieces perhaps are coming together for John. The word of God being described in Revelation 19 is the other side of the curtain of what's taking place in chapter 1 of the book of John. In him was life, and that life is the light of mankind, is faithful and true, riding on the white horse, bringing in salvation for mankind. See, salvation has returned through Jesus Christ, who will do so in power and in glory as he executes justice on all who have rejected him and opposed him. You know, when we're reading this book of Revelation, we need to proclaim the prayer of John that is found in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus, who came as God's plan of salvation to our catastrophe, suffering servant, riding on a donkey in meekness and in humility. And now we read in Revelation that he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, riding on the white horse in majesty and power. Oh, the beauty of contrast, isn't it? Oh, what a teacher it is for us today. Graham Goldsworthy, an Australian evangelical theologian, captured this so beautifully in his book entitled The Lamb and the Lion. He states this. Christ does not return to some new or different work. His return in glory will be to consummate the finished work of his life, death and resurrection. At his coming, he will be revealed in all his glory to all principalities and powers. That which the believer now grasps by faith will be open to every age. Salvation in Jesus Christ is the only, is the only answer to our catastrophe. Revelation 19 and 20 makes it crystal clear that there is only one way that we are able to get out of the mess that we have created. The only answer, the one way, is Jesus Christ. The teachings of our world have led us to believe that there are so many other paths that we can take. So many other avenues that perhaps look more alluring. But those teachings could be nothing further. They could be no further from the truth. Every other path will lead to destruction. There is no Jesus and. It is Jesus, period. Jesus came so that you may be saved. Jesus died a brutal death so that you may have life. All the catastrophes of my life, all the catastrophes are of our life were nailed to the cross when he breathed his last breath. And he died. And he was buried. He was separated from his father in heaven and he experienced the realities of hell for you and for me. On the third day, he rose again, and his lungs were filled with air, and he walked out of the grave, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And at that moment, at that precise moment, Satan's greatest tactic, it was gone. Our death is now an event that we can face with confidence. 
because of Jesus Christ. And we can echo the words of Paul when he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? God sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to prepare a way for you and me. This chapter of Revelation is so very clear, and you need to hear this this morning. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you will be saved, and you will experience the realities of heaven with God forever and eternity. You will be ushered into the gates of heaven, and you will experience the splendor and the glory of being in the presence of God. But if you choose a path other than Jesus Christ, you will experience the eternity of hell. Complete separation from Jesus Christ. And you will join the false gods of your earthly choosing and you will burn in the lake of sulfur. Friends, salvation in Jesus Christ is the only answer. And if you are here this morning or you're watching online and you want to know more about Jesus Christ, today is the day that you tell him. Any one of us would be more than willing to talk to you about Jesus Christ and to walk that journey with you. Pastor Adam is going to be at the booth, the hub afterwards, more than happy to talk to you about that. Text or email because it's only Jesus Christ that we are saved. Allow Jesus Christ to take on your capacity. King Jesus is riding on the white horse and he is bringing in salvation to those that love and to trust him alone. The light has come in Jesus Christ. But to those who deny Jesus Christ, it's going to be a dark day of perfect judgment. For those that are in Jesus Christ, know this. The battle which we fight, the battle between good and evil, it already has been won. Because God wins. Now is not the time to retreat back in battle. Now is the time for us to step forward into battle. For there is nothing to fear in the act of fighting. You know, the reality is, the greater danger that we face today is not is in the fact of not fighting at all. Because the safest place for you and I to be is in the front lines of battle because that's where the great white horse is fighting our battle. And I want to be where Jesus is. And I pray that that's where you want to be, right at the feet of Jesus. The battle here in Revelations, it's not just an end times thing. It is right here. It is right now. And therefore, it is right here and right now where we need to wave high the banner of Jesus Christ. And we need to march into battle. Ready to fight. Ready with the full armor of God placed upon us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6 about this battle. This is what he says. He says, put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and the blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Doesn't that sound a little familiar? Therefore, put on the full armor of God. 
so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet firmly fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, which is the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's a battle, friends. It's a battle. And the question is this. Where are you standing in the battle? Are you in the front row? Are you in, I mean, are you in the back row of the battle? Afraid to move forward? Afraid of what might come if you take that step forward? Are you wanting to stay back a little bit? Are you on the, the front line with all your might, with the word of God, winning souls for Jesus Christ? Revelation 19 and 20 is not permission for us to sit back and relax. It is a call to action. It is a call for us to step forward, to be in the front lines of the battle. So that you and I, as a church community, that we can be a light in our community for the sake of the gospel. You see, our salvation through Jesus Christ is, is winning back the territory that was lost in the, in the invasion of evil. So often we spend so much of our time with our mind focused on what went wrong. Our conversations are focused far more so on the evil that is around us. So often we're so quick to yell, but the devil, the devil. And the more that we focus our mind on the devil, the more that he is going to be beginning his work. The more that we focus our mind on the devil, the more that we focus our mind on him, the greater permission that we are giving him to infiltrate our minds. But instead, we need to be on the front lines of battle, proclaiming the name of Jesus. We need to be calling out, God, God. there is power in the name of Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus that we can stand firm in battle. It is in the name of Jesus that we are equipped for battle. It is in the name of Jesus that the battle has already been won because of the word of God. Because the word of God is riding in on the horse, ushering in salvation. Thanks be to God. So that brings us to our second contrast that we see in Revelation 19 and 20. See, we have seen the contrast of our catastrophe and our salvation, and the final contrast is the war of our catastrophe and the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. You know, perhaps we can all agree this morning that there is something special or something unique that takes place when we break bread together. When we sit down together over a meal, something pretty cool happens. Barriers are broken and, and peaceful people kind of loosen up a little bit, don't they? This is why at Edge and Summit, our youth ministries here, food has become such a huge component about what we do. 
This is why when we have our extreme weather shelter, this is why we serve them a meal when they come. This is why when we have weddings, we often serve a meal, or when a family member passes away, we gather as a family over a meal to share some memories. A meal has a very unique way to make us all equal, doesn't it? The first miracle that Jesus performed was about a meal. It was at a wedding where he turned water into wine. Jesus ate supper with sinners. It was over a meal that Zacchaeus came to know of his salvation. It was in the upper room where Jesus had his last meal with his disciples before he was crucified. And after he rose again, it was the meal that Jesus prepared, a barbecue on the beach for his disciples. A meal. Food is so important in scripture. And the disciples carried on this concept of teaching over a meal. And it was passed on from generation to generation to generation. So that you and I today once again get to come around the table and have a meal together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Where we become equals because of who God is. The battle has been won. So welcome to the marriage supper. In Revelation 19, God welcomes all those whose names are written in the scroll of life to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's a marriage feast for you and for me. Coming to the table is not something that we should take lightly. Eating and drinking from the marriage supper is never something that should become just a common place in what we do here as a body of believers. Every time we come here as a church community, we proclaim together with one voice the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Our catastrophe of life was taken away by what took place on the cross because of Jesus Christ. The marriage supper, this feast, should shake us to the core of who we are. And it should pull us out of the boredom of the faith that we might find ourselves in. This meal should take us to our knees in awe and in reverence to a holy God. You know, when the angel shared the invitation with John, blessed are those who are welcome to the wedding feast, these are the true words of God. The first thing that John did is he fell and he worshipped. The intent of John's action was quite appropriate. It was a great response to the invitation. But the direction of John's worship was not. He fell to his knees and worshipped to the messenger. He fell at the feet of the angel. How often do we make the same mistake as John did? Do we respond to the invitation to come to the marriage supper with our worship being misdirected? Perhaps we're worshiping the wrong person. Do you come to this table this morning thinking that we deserve to come because of the good things that I have done this past week? Do I come to this table thinking because I forgave somebody this week because I was a grown-up and I did that, that is why I get to come. Do I get to come to this table because I wrote a, a big check this week? Do I get to come because I was, a, I was a good person in the school hallways this week? If that is the reason why you're coming, then I, I think we're coming for all the wrong reasons. Because sometimes we come to the table on bended knee and worship to ourselves more so than to God. 
We have placed ourselves on a pedestal to be praised. And if it's not by other people, it is most certainly by ourselves that we think so highly of ourselves. Because you see, pride has become a fantastic tool of the devil to bring us to this table for all the wrong reasons. You know, I love how the angel responded to John's actions. He was straight to the point. He looks at John. He says, John, stop it. Stop what you're doing. It's not me you are to worship. You need to worship God and God alone. In other words, what John is saying, and we're going to be singing this very shortly. The angel is saying to John, behold, behold our God who is seated on the throne. Come, that's the God we are to worship. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, because there is nothing that compares. Come, let us adore him. That has to be our posture when we come to the Lord's Supper. On our knees, bended in worship to the one true God. And if this is how we come to the marriage supper, then we take away all the danger of coming to the table all the wrong reasons because this is all about God not about me this meal gives all the glory to God not to me this meal reminds us of the saving power of Jesus Christ not mine this meal proclaims the victory of Jesus Christ over death. And because I am a child of God, because you are a child of God, we too can proclaim the victory over death. And that victory should compel us to move to the front lines in battle and wave the banner high because of who Jesus Christ is. And we go to the front and we partake of the meal because of Jesus Christ. Because, friends, God wins. God wins. Satan is defeated forever. Amen. God wins. So come. Come. Let us adore him as we partake of the marriage feast. For you see, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all who belong to him in body and soul, in life and in death. And he loved him. Thus those who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and who desire to live in obedience to Him, are now welcome to come to the marriage table of our Lord this morning. For it is here that we can look around. We can just look around. That we are gathered together this morning through the working of the Holy Spirit. Seeing that we are all different but we are all equals when we come to God's table. And we can look back remembering the whole story of our salvation, knowing that he has protected the church through the working of his Holy Spirit from one generation to the next. God has protected his church. And we can look forward with confidence, knowing that he will preserve his church until the great banquet feast of the coming king, because God wins Always God wins and Satan has been defeated forever. So we know that the church will continue in the name of Jesus Christ. Hear these gracious words of our Lord as promised to us in the book of Matthew. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. Look at John as he, the Lord Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never go thirsty. Whoever comes to me, I will not drive away. And blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He says, come. Come. Behold our God who sits on the throne. Come to the marriage supper of our Lord. Come. adore him this morning, shall we? The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, our victorious King, was given for you and for me. same way he took the cup and he said this is the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me so take drink remember and believe that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ our victorious king was given for you and for me Lord, so graciously, has just fed us and nourished our souls this morning. I'd like to encourage you to stand. Please stand. And as a prayer of thanksgiving to God, with an understanding of what he has done for you and what he has done for me, that he is ushering in salvation, that he is the one riding the white horse for you and for me. Let us recite together these words of praise with one voice as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ who have just been nourished. Let's recite these words of Psalm 103 together. Let's say together, praise the Lord my soul and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all our sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with all good things so that your youth is renewed through wisdom. And all God's people say, amen. Let's remain standing and sing, Behold Our God.